where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years. What if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hello, Craig's listeners. This is the Craig's List podcast. I, my name is, uh, Carla Kikowski. Uh, uh, my, uh, my husband, uh, Craig does this podcast where, uh, we watch his 100 favorite movies and, uh, I often, uh, don't like those movies and, uh, that I, I stand up for what I believe and, um, and then we do my quotes, which are hilarious, uh, because it's just the things that are off the top of my head, uh, while, while I'm watching the movie. Are you doing an impersonation of me? What? <laughs> of you? No, I'm Carla Kikowski. Wait a second. Then who am I? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I I appreciate the fact that you never run your intros past me because I would <laughs> nix all of them <laughs> right away. <laughs> you would have put the kibosh on the <laughs> the Zelig Chameleon intro? Zelig. Oh yeah. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Carla, I'm so insecure about being myself that I have to emulate somebody else's behavior, whoever I'm in the room with in order to feel like I fit in uh, because I'm unsure of my own tastes and opinions. That's not true. No, that's totally not true. (laughs) So, (laughs) but it wasn't always true. And I guess we'll get to that today. Hi guys. Uh, (laughs) Fooled you for a second. This isn't Carla. This is Craig Kikowski. I am an individual. Uh, Does it ever feel like you guys are listening to therapy sessions? <laughs> I hope so. I hope that's part of the appeal. Who's the doctor in that scenario? Me? Uh, Benny. Benny is Benny, the doctor. Our dog. Yeah. Dr. Benny. He's easily the most therapeutic person in this room. <laughs> He's, of course, not a person, but. Sure he is. Sure he is. He has a voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we watched Zelig. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you uh, what's going on today. This is uh, movie number 74 on Craigslist, and uh, it's a 1983 flick by Woody Allen called Zelig. And uh, it's about a man who is determined to fit in, and so uh, he becomes a human chameleon and uh, emulates the, the look and tone and uh, appearance of people that he's in a room with. Yep. Is that an accurate That's exactly <laughs> description what it is. of, uh, <laughs> of Zelig? Yep. And this is also a fake documentary. Mm-hmm. A mockumentary. A mockumentary. A mockumentary. If you will. I will. Mm-hmm. And I do. And I have. Uh, and it's quite well done mockumentary. But Carla, I think... That what we need to do first, because uh, seven of the top 74 on Craig's list are directed by one man, uh, Mr. Uh, Alan 
Konigsberg. Konigsberg? Konigsberg, I think, is his real name. Are you serious? I did not know that. You didn't know that Woody Allen wasn't his real name? No, that's such a good name, Woody Allen. I guess that's why. He made it up himself. Sure. That's showbiz. Uh, So we probably just need to talk about uh, Woody Allen. (laughs) Yeah. And our feelings about uh, including him on the list. Uh, you go first. No, it's your list. (laughs) Why should I go first? Uh, well, I've been kind of dreading the Woody Allen portions of this list because it's just a challenging time to, uh, a challenging time in our lives in, in the, (laughs) our, our being everybody's to, um, be fans of someone or something that is questionably uh is morally questionable in their own lives sure so a lot of people have a lot of opinions about this and i have thoughts about it but i don't know that i've landed on an opinion about it and i don't know i just feel like we should kind of clear the air and uh, acknowledge that woody allen is probably a questionable human being um Though neither of us know him personally (laughs) to confirm that and that we are judging his work purely based on the idea of it being a piece of art, right? I think that's well put. Is it? Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I would say uh, definitely uh, a questionable human being, though nobody knows for sure. And, uh, right. Well, there's a lot. Okay. So let me just say this just to really clear the air. There's a a lot of, and there's been plenty of think pieces that I've read on Woody Allen over the past few years on both sides of the argument. Um, at the end of the day, though, I do feel like we should believe people who, uh, are survivors of assault if they say that they are. So that's why I still have an issue with Woody Allen even though I have read convincing think pieces on how he may not have done anything. <sighs> but then he does stuff like he goes and marries, you know, his much, much younger, basically stepdaughter. <laughs> sure. Which is a, and well, he did that first. Right. <laughs> well, uh, started a relationship with her first, married her later, and then they're still together. To this day. Sure. So there are all these levels to whether or not he's a questionable person. (laughs) Uh, But I do need to say that I think at the end of the day, believing people when they say that they've been assaulted is where I stand. As as we go in, as we put our (laughs) best foot forward and move into the Woody Allen (laughs) chapters of Craigslist, (laughs) I would like to go on record as having said that. Thank you. Thank you, Carla. Uh, yeah, I, how, so obviously you're going to rewatch all these Woody Allen movies for the list. Uh, you haven't really watched his last few recent movies, have you? I haven't. No, no, I, we watched, um, oh no, I watched, uh, oh, what was the one? Cafe Society? Did you? 
I did. I saw it on a plane. Oh, you did? Okay. I kind of fell asleep in it. It was What did you think? I thought it was boring. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the Woody Allen thing, right? Okay. So we've kind of addressed a little bit, (laughs) though we walked around the issue of his personal stuff. But for him as a a filmmaker, the thing that makes him so fascinating is that his... um, ability to write and direct and release these movies every year uh, means that he has this giant <laughs> library of films and some of them just by the odds of you know putting out work that quickly are going to be bad and I can actually appreciate that I, I actually think that's a really cool part about Woody Allen as a filmmaker is that he puts stuff out constantly um, instead of just sitting on it and I think that's admirable like clockwork there is a film a year good or bad, it returns to the same themes that he always uses. He's kind of like gone from being a New York filmmaker to now he's been getting international European financing. So most of his movies have been set in Europe over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. or so with some interesting results and some not so interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I think it's kind of like if you're a, uh, a fan of his work, uh, then you're kind of like you, you're signed up for the whole package and you got to kind of take the, the bad with the good. And even the, even the bad ones are kind of interesting within the larger framework, uh, of what you're looking at. But, right. But yeah, uh, all of the movies on my list happen to be from the seventies and the eighties. So, right. Uh, so he hasn't made a movie, a movie worthing of movie worthing of making on Craigslist. Are you doing a Woody Allen impersonation? <laughs> yeah. <right now? laughs> That's a little more Mike Tyson, I think. But. No, I just misspoke and tried to, uh, play it off, uh, seamlessly to great effect. Uh, he hasn't made a movie worthy of being on Craigslist, uh, since 1989. So, um, is that true? You didn't like, uh, what's the one? Oh, I, there's Paris? many, there's many that I like. Midnight in Paris. Yeah. Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Oh, I love Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Husbands oh, and Wives. It's so, bullets over Broadway. See, this, this is challenging. why this is so difficult for you because you really do like his work. I really do. Uh, Hannah and, his, and her sisters is probably on my top 10 list. Uh, if I have to be honest with myself, it's, it's, it, it is so, it's a very difficult, challenging thing to talk about. And the, the other irony is that he writes really good roles for women. Generally, yeah. I mean, again, there are questionable things about that too. But uh, I think Hannah and her sisters is a great example of, um, yeah, his ability to write really complex, interesting female characters in a way that I don't know that a lot of male directors have been able to. Uh, everybody take a breath. It's tough. Now, so you're not boycotting his work. I'm not. Uh, are there artists that you have previously engaged with their work that you are now boycotting or are not interested in being engaged with? No, I was never. So gosh, who are we talking about here? Like we're talking about Bill Cosby, right? <laughs> Uh, I haven't listened to any of his comedy records recently, but that was true just as, of me and as, as an adult, I haven't sure. listened to. <laughs> and I also haven't, and I loved his show as a kid. I haven't been in a situation where I've been like, should I watch the Cosby show? <laughs> you know, since all this stuff has been happening. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what that would be like. And then who else could we be talking about? 
I don't know, Mel Gibson. Oh, Mel Gibson, for sure. I can't watch any of his stuff anymore. I really uh, can't. I don't know. Would you yeah. before, though? Uh, Yeah. I liked a lot of Mel Gibson movies, but I don't think I can sit and watch them in the same way. Now, basically, what he just revealed himself to be a horrible person while drunk. Right. Basically. Right. Well, that's just speech. Yeah. That's not crimes. Right. No, you're right. But... But oh, but you know what? The other thing with Mel Gibson is, I have a friend who waited on him, and he left her a quarter, <laughs> and she said he was the biggest piece of shit. So there's that too. Yeah, that it was very interesting that he was nominated this year um, for a uh, for a decent movie, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, surprising mm-hmm. because of all of his uh, anti-Semitic and. Uh, and misogynistic totally surprising yeah uh stuff that's on the record but i guess ultimately if you make a lot of money for people then right. all all is forgiven right you know um and then there's casey affleck right what was that movie he just did what was it called again <clears throat> uh manchester by the sea which he won the academy award right. for and i was very surprised i thought I that the the negative press uh about him and, you know, definitely a lot of people in Hollywood were, were talking about his sexual harassment suit. Right. Uh, and his, uh, behavior while making that movie with, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Right. Uh, and that, that it was out there and on record and there was a, a lot of, uh, what I thought was effective negative campaigning against him. But I guess ultimately people were more moved by his performance than they were by the, allegations against him and i watched that movie and i wasn't a huge fan of the movie in general but i i thought it was a solid performance i don't know it's uh all very confusing um and i want i don't know yeah i'm it, gonna say i don't know like a bajillion times <laughs> like i said i have a lot of thoughts about my opinions but i haven't like landed on an opinion as to how we are yeah. supposed to respond to these things oh what's his face from you know the guy who lives abroad now who can't come back in the country oh roman polanski i've totally watched roman polanski movies since then yeah um and i have thought that some of them were quite amazing yeah well there there's a documentary about i think he's probably a creep definitely (laughs) and and in his case, there's no disputing the, the facts. Right. You know, like he definitely raped a 13 year old girl. Right. Um, <clears throat> and there was a documentary about that, about his case and about him fleeing the country and everything. And they had, you know, filmmakers and actors and friends of his that were kind of testifying in his behalf. And their arguments kind of amounted to, well, three things. Um, but he's a Holocaust survivor, but his wife was brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. And but he made Rosemary's Baby, <laughs> you know, Yikes. or basically the art, the arguments of just like he's a great artist, right. you know, and he is a great artist, right? Um, but that doesn't excuse his crime, right. you know. And then the fact that he had horrible things happen to him in his life as well does not excuse his crime, right? Uh, and probably drugs, probably drugs were probably a factor as as well. Or, yeah, I don't know why I just said that. He's a a piece of shit. <laughs> And a grown man. And a grown yeah, man. Who like, should be accountable for his actions. So, like, excuses actions. are excuses, yeah. but they're not reasons. Ugh. With, with Bill. You're really challenging me on this one, Craig. <laughs> not my opinions, just it's, I don't 
like to think about this stuff that much. Sure. It's so sad. Well, I think with Bill Cosby, uh, first of all, it's the the sheer number of allegations by the sheer number of women that all kind of add up to the same story, right. you know, and they're all the details are corroborated. And with him, it just really feels like a violation because he had kind of positioned himself as like America's dad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, certainly I felt that way. Cause I was a kid. Um, I, you know, in the eighties watching that show it was my favorite sitcom besides the wonder years. I loved both of them <laughs> equally. And yeah. Oh, wait, do you hear the allegations against Fred Savage? Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, the thing that, I, I think probably the thing that is upsetting to me the most about all of those examples, I mean, Bill Cosby is very upsetting, but as that was more of a, a kid, I admired him. But as an adult, I really, when I first started to watch Woody Allen movies as an adult, I really admired them and enjoyed them. And so it's very, like, I feel very conflicted because while I want to believe anyone who says as we should that they were assaulted, there is that part of me that's like, well, am I excusing it? Because am I allowing myself to continue watching his movies just because I'm a fan of his movies? You know, like it's a very, I don't know. I feel like I would have to go to several hundreds of hours of therapy to really figure it out. And who wants to spend that kind of money on Woody (laughs) Allen? Not I, um, but if it was a different filmmaker, would I just be like, that guy's a piece of shit and I'm never going to watch any of his stuff because I'm not a fan of that person's stuff anyways in the first place, right? Yeah. So that's the real – does that make sense? That's the real conflict. I, I, absolutely. I well, I mean his movies have been <clears throat> so important in my life. Yeah. And obviously there's seven of them on the list more than any other filmmaker and a huge part of just me falling in love with comedy and falling in love with movies – uh, in general, that I absolutely have to divorce the art from the person mm-hmm. and that ultimately we don't know these people. Right. And, you know, we think we do. And I think there's something about our celebrity culture now and how, you know, and social media encourages to like engage with celebrities and, right. and everything. But anything that we see in public is just a, a persona, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of these people are very troubled people mm-hmm. and that's why and sometimes they're able to make great art mm-hmm. uh not always like i don't think you have to be fucked up to make great great art but i think many people who do are mm. um and so that's kind of what we're responding to is their take on the human condition and maybe you know that they're just wired differently mm-hmm. and then they get insulated and isolated by celebrity mm-hmm. and that kind of encourages their stranger behavior or that they lose touch with humanity, right. you know? So, you know, it, I don't think regardless of how much you think, you know, about an actor or a writer or a director or a musician, you know, you can only really engage with the work, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't pretend to, to know the person, and so I, I think ultimately you just have to assess the art for what it is. 
Now it's it's tough in his case because the persona that he kind of puts out in the movies mm-hmm. is for all intents and purposes who we think of as Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh and because he's a he's a neurotic, you know, New York Jew. Who's obsessed with sex. <laughs> who's obsessed with young girls often yeah. too. Yeah. So it, it's really hard in his case, but at least you could say, unlike Cosby, he was being upfront with us. About who he is. Well, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I had just actually listened to a, uh, a very good podcast. Uh, Don't Get Me Started. Do you know this? No. It's two UCB guys, Will Hines and Anthony King. Okay. Yeah. And they interview a comedy friend every week about something that they love and that they're obsessed about. It's kind of like Jackie Cation's uh, Dork Forest okay. podcast. Yeah. Uh, but it's specifically all UCB people. And, uh, they talked to a friend of theirs, uh, Brandon Gardner, I think it was his name. And his choice was Woody Allen movies. <laughs> so, oh, really? And so they, they just put this out a few weeks ago and they covered, uh, all the mixed feelings, uh, extensively, mm-hmm. much more so than we have done today. So right. I think if you guys are interested in hearing, uh, some more opinions about it that I thought were, were well stated and informed, then uh, check out Don't Get Me Started. Yeah, it's a tough one. I did go down uh, um, the rabbit hole of reading as much as I could about it a couple years ago uh, when it kind of resurfaced. And, you know, there's a lot of questionable stuff on both sides, I think, um, in terms of some of the kids who are on his side and some of the kids who are on Mia's side. And it's just and then you get to a certain point where you're like three hours into these articles and you're like, this isn't my family. I'm, I'm getting out of here. Absolutely. <laughs> like, why am I reading about this? Yeah. You know, just trying to like sort out my feelings on him as a filmmaker. And then I'm realizing like, nope, this is too, like, I'm not going to spend this much time worrying about other people's problems and trying to like sort through my feelings about people who I'm not related to. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it's a mess. Yeah. I, and I think they said on this podcast that I listened to that ultimately like the best case scenario about the guy is that, uh, he had an affair with, uh, his, uh, much younger adoptive daughter Mm -hmm. of his girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, which is totally true and nobody's disputing that. And, uh, it's pretty gross. It's pretty gross. And, uh, and then he, he may have done worse things than yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so we know this guy is not a good guy. Right. Uh, unfortunately, he's made a lot of great art that we have to talk about. Right. Oh, damn it. All right. Here we go. So, Zelig, <laughs> that's, that's our, th- those are our thoughts. No conclusions, just some ideas. Oh, I was hoping we would reach conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> No, because the second you're like, this is what I think, this is what I believe, it's, it, I don't know, it's just, you're not going to come out on a good side either way. <laughs> and I just, I'm not going to decide, you guys. I'm not going to. I'm going to say that there's a lot of craziness and it's a gray area and we're just going to do our best because Craig put seven of these fucking movies <laughs> on his top 100 <laughs> list. So just bear with us as we discuss these films as films and not personal tragedies. Right? And now, Zelig. <laughs>
Zelig is a mockumentary, and uh, it's very well made and very believable as a fake documentary. And uh, it covers the the Roaring Twenties, basically. So it's kind of a almost a parody of the fads and trends that they had during the twenties. Uh, you know, it was a time where kind of America was, uh, was booming and uh, everybody was dancing <laughs> and flagpole sitting and goldfish swallowing and, uh, barnstorming on planes and whatnot. And so it kind of, uh, covers that era, uh, before the stock market crash and the idea that this guy who could become other people became a internationally known celebrity is kind of the, the central comedic conceit, uh, of the movie. Uh, want to talk about Craig's first time? Yeah, let's do it. That's the order in which we do things. <laughs> uh, this is one of the first Woody Allen movies that I saw. Really? Yeah. Oh, it was one of the later ones for me. It came out in 83. I definitely did not see it in the theater. Uh, and I think the very first one I saw was Take the Money and Run, which is his first movie, which is his other mockumentary. Mm. And uh, I remember my dad being a big fan of Woody Allen and showing me Take the Money and Run when it came on TV. And then I think I saw some of the early, you know, wacky comedies like Bananas and Sleeper. Which I've never been able to get through either of those. Really? I think they're so weird. I should try again. It's been a long time. Neither of them are on the list, so you don't have to. But I definitely have them both on DVD. Mm -hmm. uh, they're very uh, absurdist and silly. And, you know, that some of those early movies love and death is the first one that kind of has a consistent narrative uh to it well the sleeper that they have a narrative definitely but they feel kind of sketchy in a way that they're like little set pieces so it's a little influenced by like mark's brothers uh laurel and hardy Chaplin, you know the kind of his early comedic influences uh so it's you know there's like little you know silent bits and bits of physical comedy and lots of one-liners and just uh sight gags and kind of silly uh absurdity mixed in with the story um so in, in some ways zelig was kind of a, a return to that uh but i definitely saw it before i saw annie hall really uh i may have seen manhattan first but i'm not sure uh so that this is one of the movies that really made me um a fan of Woody Allen's comedy. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably saw it around the same time that I saw this is spinal tap, which was definitely my favorite movie. I was going to ask if these came, if they came out around the same time. Well, spinal tap came out in 84. Okay. Zelig 83. Uh, I definitely remember reading about Zelig in time magazine, mm -hmm. uh, as a, you know, 14 year old or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds cool. I'm, I want to see that. And then rented it from Errol's, Mm -hmm. uh, on VHS when it came out. So I probably saw it in 84. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing though. I think a lot of the references like many Woody Allen movies definitely went over my head. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's structured as a documentary. So in addition to stock and archival footage, um, newsreel footage, the whole thing is supposed to look like a, a one long newsreel basically and is narrated, mm -hmm. uh, as such. um, there's also contemporary interviews with real intellectuals, Susan Sontag, Bruno Bettelheim. Oh, those were real people. Those are all real people. They seem, I was wondering if it was like, uh, in when Harry met Sally, when they got real people to do the talking head interviews. 
Yeah, and I I think that one of the guys, I feel like one of the guy who played the Nazi guard at the end mm-hmm. was one of the uh, couples from When Harry Met Sally. Oh, really? Though I, I'm not totally sure about that. I think uh, I was sleeping. <laughs> Yes, well, we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> of how much of this movie you uh, you actually missed. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Saul Bellow, the the great writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I certainly didn't know who those people were at the time. I still don't really know who some of them are. But they're they're real intellectuals that he kind of like mixed in with also people actors playing uh, older people who are looking back on the uh, the time of Zelig, right. And then the real innovation of the movie is that, uh, Woody Allen and, uh, Gordon Willis, the cinematographer, uh, would fit, uh, Zelig into actual newsreel footage. So, which I thought was really cool. That was the coolest part of the movie for me. So there's things like him interacting with, uh, like Marion Davies and Charlie Chaplin at a party at Hearst Castle. You can see him like getting ready to bat like next to Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig at a Yankees uh, training camp. Yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, you, they put him into still photographs with Calvin Coolidge and Herbert Hoover and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And this, you know, this is before digital. So this is all on celluloid. Uh, so the technical expertise to kind of weave Zelig into that era and make it believable is is really well done. Yeah, I agree. And uh, there's also kind of a uh, beat up quality to the film where I guess that Willis and Alan like literally would crumple up the film and step on it and like leave it in a shower for, for a while and stuff <laughs> like that um, because you couldn't deteriorate it digitally. You had to just physically wow. deteriorate uh, the film. That's so cool. Uh, and so it had to match uh, all of the old uh, archival and newsreel footage uh, that they were doing. And then there's also things that they do uh, that really makes it seamless. Is like they there's footage of Fanny Bryce, which is pretty incredible, singing a song. Yeah. But at one point she's like, "Dear Mister Zelig," which so that obviously somebody overdubbed her voice right. for that line. Yeah. And then you also hear like Al Jolson singing "Toot Toot Tootsie," but then there's a line about Zelig dubbed in there as well. Mm-hmm. But it's so seamless you don't really notice yeah technically it's, it's very fake. impressive and um much more ambitious than any other woody allen movie i can think of technically yeah i mean I, he he's never really gone for something this stylized again i mean mm-hmm. his his movies are in a very kind of uh safe <laughs> zone right uh for him that he, that he doesn't make that many formally uh ambitious choices like mm-hmm. this and apparently it took so long to do some of the, uh, the technical aspects of it. I, I always thought that the first movie he made with, uh, Mia Farrow was a Midsummer Night Sex Comedy, which came out before this, but Zelig was the first one they shot together and it just took that long in post. Oh, wow. Uh, to get Zelig ready, uh, for screening. So he actually shot Midsummer Night Sex Comedy and Broadway Danny Rose while Zelig was in post. I see. Uh, and then Broadway Danny Rose was the next movie that came out. He made 13 movies with Mia Farrow. Oh my gosh. Isn't that crazy? By the way. <laughs> uh, and the, so this was the first one that they actually shot together. Uh, one good thing about Woody Allen though for Craig's list, Carla, 
is that his movies tend to be very short. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, four of the ten shortest movies on the list are Woody Allen movies, and this was the shortest. Yeah. An hour and 19 minutes. And I fell asleep. And Carla made it about two-thirds. <laughs> Okay. However, I've seen this movie twice before. Okay. So I know the movie. What did you remember about it? And, uh. I don't know. <laughs> like, I didn't remember everything about the end because I was asking you what happened. Um. Yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah, I've seen it twice before. The first time I saw it was when I first moved to LA and my neighbor had a collection of Woody Allen DVDs. And this is when I first, like, really started to get into Woody Allen and I just would watch all of the movies. Um, over and over again. And then, uh, or I guess I should say I would watch Annie Hall and Hannah and her sisters over and over again. And then I watched it a second time when we did the, um, second city boats together in 2007. Mm -hmm. Probably when I was reviewing this movie for Craigslist at the time. Uh, so not one of your favorites then. It's not, I think it's a really great idea and it's executed really well. And again, all the technical stuff is, it still to this day looks impressive that they were able to get him into these old news footages and stuff. Um, but I think because I think, you know, just emotionally it doesn't connect with me. Sure. Um, so, cause it, it all feels very much at a distance because it is a documentary. So it's like, this happened in the past. This is how he felt. And we never actually see Zelig as a talking head. Right. So therefore it's just people talking about him. So I'm just missing that, you know, emotional relationship dynamic that would make this movie awesome for me. The trick though is how do you, how do you get Woody Allen's, uh, voice literally and, uh, metaphorically into the movie? And, uh, it, it's kind of cool because Mia Farrow plays his psychiatrist, the woman mm-hmm. who's determined to cure Zelig, uh, of his need to fit in. And so the conceit is that their psychiatric sessions were filmed and they're actually, uh, supposedly one of the groundbreaking, uh, <laughs> documents mm-hmm. of psychology mm-hmm. you know that they're the white room sessions uh that her cousin was in the uh the closet with a camera filming them and then so after everything kind of being still footage uh and archival footage for a while finally you you get to see Woody Allen being Woody Allen and interacting with uh with Mia Farrow and then there there's also like them having dialogue in you know what is ostensibly newsreel footage of the time so it's kind of clever how they managed to yeah. get s- some sense of character in. I think that's a great way to say it it's very clever and so i admire the filmmaking in it but clever doesn't necessarily move me <laughs> you know what i mean what are your favorite woody allen movies Hannah and her sisters and Annie Hall are my top two favorites. Okay. I also really like, um, oh gosh, what's the one with the, with the movie screen and they go in and out of the movie screen? The Purple Rose of Cairo. The Purple Rose of Cairo. Mm-hmm. I actually prefer that to this one. And I used to confuse Zelig and the Purple Rose of Cairo. <laughs> yeah. They came out around the same time and they yeah. both, you know, uh, Purple Rose of Cairo is kind of set in the thirties during the depression. So mm-hmm. not long after the era of this movie, uh, Woody Allen clearly has an affinity for this era. Mm-hmm. You know, he always uses old timey music. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, and even uh, Midnight in Paris is that it? Yeah, uh, is all about being <clears throat> obsessed with the past. Yeah, nostalgia for other eras is like a common theme mm-hmm. in uh, in all of his movies. So you know, this covers the Roaring Twenties really well. And then there's also original songs that were written 
for Zelig that were ostensibly like these were hit singles at the time about Zelig. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, everybody go chameleon being one of them, which is sung by May Questel, the voice of Betty Boop and Olive Oil. Oh, fun. Uh, and you know her from Christmas vacation. Christmas vacation. <laughs> but then she also in New York stories played Woody Allen's mother. Mm. Um, little May Questel trivia for you. There's a bunch of Woody Allens that I confuse because they all seem like the same thing. Well, he covers the same things over and over and literally will do some of the same jokes. Right. Uh, in multiple movies. Right. You know, he's, he's got a limited palette. Well, that's why I, I like this. Say. Thematically, I really like this one because it's something that I don't recognize from all of his other films, which is the idea of being so insecure that you start to act like other people around you. Um, yeah. Like not trusting yourself enough to be, to have a, a personality. <laughs> uh, I think that's so interesting. And I can't think of another movie off the top of my head of his that explores that like this one does. Well, in high school, I was definitely, uh, obsessed with like creating some sort of persona for myself. And I think a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. are, um, of like fitting into some sort of click. Right. And it's so idiotic now to th- think back on it. Yeah. Uh, and I think if there, there's something that I, I do really like about the internet era, it's that everybody kind of, can kind of personalize, uh, themselves and just that be their unique selves be their unique selves and just own what makes you you right um i think in in some ways there's a downside to that uh that we're not exposed to you know there's not a national pop culture as much anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know everybody kind of has their own niche culture that's kind Mm -hmm. of built around their personal tastes uh, but hopefully it does encourage people to be themselves a little more, though I'm sure that teenagers today still go through oh, sure, that yeah. shit. Oh, sure. Like I know. But yeah, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, I, and as we're talking about, I guess Annie Hall does kind of explore that theme now that I think about it because she's very much the the type of person who's insecure and so dresses a certain way or, you know, like the whole thing where she has to – take these classes to feel like she can keep up with Woody Allen's intellect and she starts doing therapy because of his encouragement, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And well, he opens that movie with, uh, the Groucho Marx joke of, I would never want to belong to a club that have someone like me for a member. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, uh, he says is one of the key jokes uh, in his life in terms of his, of his relationships with women. So, mm. <laughs> so yeah i mean so there is uh some good observations being made about conformity yeah i think mia farrow's really good in this film too i mean she's always pretty great um yeah i think she doesn't get enough credit for the range of her acting roles yeah and i mean if there's something to look back fondly on from the woody allen mia farrow years it's Mm -hmm. like she got a lot of great roles and is completely different in, in a lot of them. And she's a pretty, uh, convincing psychiatrist in this movie. Yeah. I think that's what's so good about, she's not, I don't know. When you watch a bunch of her movies, it's not that she's so different in all of them, but she's specific to the thing that she's doing, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like with the therapist thing, it felt very real. You believe her. Yeah. You believe her. 
There you go. Simplify my thoughts. Thank you. And I think there's a actually a secret MVP to this movie, uh, which is Patrick Horgan. Am I supposed to know who that is? <laughs> is that why you stopped? I don't know who that is. Patrick Horgan is the narrator who has uh, 90% of the dialogue in yeah. this movie, and he does an excellent job. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea who this guy is. Looking at him, he, I guess, was a veteran English actor who had done a fair amount of soap opera work, whatever. But the entire movie is narrated, and you just need to believe this is a real documentary, and this guy makes you do so, and he never winks at any of the jokes. And I, I, something I, I really love about this movie is just how straight faced all of it is delivered. It's delivered very deadpan mm-hmm. that if you weren't quite paying attention to what was going on and it was in, in the on in the background, you wouldn't know it was a comedy. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's only when you start to hear Woody Allen and you get some of his stereotypical jokes uh, yeah. in there that you're, you're kind of like, wait a minute. Right. <laughs> you know? There are some really funny jokes in this. I don't remember any of them right now, but I remember laughing last night when we were watching it. <laughs> well, there's, uh, there's the whole thing about masturbation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, because, uh, she, uh, he's pretending to be a doctor, uh, when she's, uh, giving him therapy because that's the only way that he's comfortable. So, uh, she tries to call him on it. Uh, and she admits that she's not a doctor <laughs> to see what he does. Right. Uh, but he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I teach a class on masturbation. Yeah. And you're like, oh boy, Woody. And, uh, and she's like, oh, uh, guilt, uh, induced masturbation. He's like, no, no, I teach advanced. <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and then later he's like, oh, yeah, I got to go because I, I teach this class on masturbation. If I'm, if I'm late, they start without me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. See, you love him. You love him. Stop it. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the, the narrator does a fantastic job. And then – the there's not really any recognizable actors in it. Of course, though, Gail Hansen from Dead Poet Society has one has one line. I recognized him right away. It. That's amazing. And I thought that he was did. Josh Charles for a second. And then <laughs> You're I was like, like what's nope. Josh Charles doing in this Nawanda. movie? Yeah, there's uh it cuts to some fraternity brothers telling a Zelig joke, and that's uh Gail Hansen of Dead Poet Society uh delivering that joke. Uh and then but some of the actors uh there's two newsmen mm-hmm. uh, who I guess are just actors playing newsmen. They're not actual journalists. And mm-hmm. they're supposedly guys who wrote about Zelig in the 20s. And they're totally believable. They're great. You know, they I, they might have been real journalists that uh, Woody Allen hired. That was a but- nod to the guys from, uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford, right? <laughs> sure. They were the Woodward and Bernstein yes. of their day. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, what it felt like. Yeah. Because they have this whole thing of like, they had never happened before. You just told the truth and people bought the papers. Yes. <laughs> you know? uh, but nobody's really playing anything up. So I think he cast people that are just very grounded and yeah. real. And then later there's a thing of Zelig uh, has, while in his other personas committed all these crimes, uh, married women and had children and uh, whatnot. And there's uh, this one guy who says, uh, he was the guy who smashed my car up. It was brand new. Then he backed up over my mother's wrist. She's elderly and uses her wrist a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, 
like it's just delivered so straight and so deadpan that that it's so funny. So I I, I like how straight faced uh, this movie is, and it's all very consistent time wise <laughs> too in terms of the the decade that he. Or the decades yeah. that he's talking about. Because it starts with like uh, him at a party and F. Scott Fitzgerald is there. Yeah. Uh, and then later on after his half-sister takes custody, takes, I, I don't know, gets custody of him and yeah. is taking care of him, they go to Barcelona, right? And do um, and she falls in love with a bullfighter. A bullfighter, yeah. Which is like very Hemingway. Yes. Like – just if you know anything about those times and those writers, it feels like, oh, he's such a huge fan. Woody Allen is such a huge fan of this era. There's footage of Josephine Baker yes. in Paris. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the woman they talked to, Bricktop, I guess, she was a real woman who owned that nightclub in, oh, in Paris. Wow. She's the one who says, uh, Cole Porter wrote a line, you're the top, you're Leonard Zellig. But then he couldn't think of anything to rhyme with Zellig. <laughs> But that's not an actress. She was a real woman. That's Br- so Brick cool. Top. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Babe Ruth, Charlie Chaplin, right. you know, Randolph Hearst. Uh, yeah. So it, it pretty much name checks anyone who would have been big in the, uh, in the twenties. Yeah. But I think there is something like aspirational about Woody Allen, like from reading his biography that he, you know, kind of grew up in more of a working class neighborhood in Brooklyn and always wanted to like present himself as being more intellectual than mm-hmm. he was. So there's kind of a recurring thing about Zelig, uh, uh, first discovered, uh, that he could turn into other people when he, uh, was in a group of people who were discussing Moby Dick and he was ashamed to admit he had never read the, the novel. Right. Yeah. You know, I've um, never read Moby Dick. Have you? Nope. I won't. You won't? (laughs) (laughs) I won't. I'll be so bored if I tried. I think, (laughs) I think I need to try it someday. It's my, it's my, I'm looking for a metaphor of something big that you want to tackle. Achilles heel. It's my Achilles. No, it's like, like something big, like in the ocean that's rare. (laughs) Oh boy. It's kind of my white whale. Okay. Um, I did, uh, the nerdist, uh, did a 24 hour thing where people read the entire text of Moby Dick online and I went and did that and read like 10 pages of it and it's very dense shit. (laughs) Like I'm not looking forward to that, but, uh, but I will someday read Moby Dick. I won't. Uh, let's get into some Carlos quotes. Okay. I don't have that many. I fell asleep. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's clothes. Sorry, guys and gals. At the beginning of the movie, it opens with some of the real intellectuals doing quotes on Zelig. And the first person is Irving Howe, who was a, uh, a Jewish literary critic. And uh, so it says Irving Howe on the, uh, the screen. And Carla said, Uncle Irving. <laughs> And I said, who, who is that? <laughs> and you said, I don't know. He just looks like an uncle. <laughs> and the next person was the writer, Saul Bellow. And you said, Grandpa Saul. <laughs> I wish I had an Uncle Irving and a Grandpa Saul. Wouldn't that be great? Those are such fun names. You wish you were Jewish. I, I think I do. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> That's another topic for another time. <laughs> well, I'm sure in the many other Woody Allen movies that we will cover, we can cover Carla's. Uh, it feels like Judaism is so much better than Catholicism. 
Now, did you needed half of our audience? Yes, the the heavy Catholic audience that listens to us. The Jews included. They're like, we don't want you. Now, did you secretly wish to be Catholics? I don't think so. I don't think so. They have such a cool thing going for themselves already. (laughs) I'm serious. It's a very rich culture. Definitely. I just love the idea. You're a big Barbara Streisand fan. Yes. (laughs) Is that a factor in your stereotyping? Yes. Uh. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the narrator is kind of talking about the, the speakeasies of the 1920s. And he said, the liquor is cheaper when you can get it. And then Carla said, and when you get it, get it now. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think you were trying to do yeah. nice work if you can get it. Yep. By George Gershwin, yep. maybe, or Cole Porter. I was in the mood of the 20s. Sure. And so I bastardized the lyrics and the and the tune and the song. And if you can get it, get it now. What? How does that go? Uh nice work if you can get it. And if yeah, and if you can get it, you can tell me how. Maybe? I think it's my version. Okay. <laughs> I don't know this song. Uh there's an Eudora Fletcher is uh, Mia Farrow's character. Eudora and is a good name too. Eudora, yeah. Are we going to name a dog Eudora one we'll day? See. <laughs> uh, but they have the older Eudora Fletcher, and you said, "How'd they get someone who looks so much like Mia Farrow?" Yeah, she did. It was well cast, it was and really she's well very cast. believable too. And in Hannah and Her Sisters, they actually use Mia Farrow's real mother to play her mother. Oh wow, Margaret O'Sullivan. So it's odd that they didn't cast her real mother there. But this woman actually looks more like Mia yeah. Farrow than Margaret O'Sullivan does. Well, Margaret O'Sullivan was probably a little younger than this woman, right? Yeah. Maybe they wanted somebody who was more convincingly older. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mia Farrow's mother, uh, you know, she was best known for? Hannah and her sisters. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Do you remember that from 30 seconds ago when I said that? Yep. Uh, no, she was best known for playing Jane in the Tarzan movies oh, in the 30s. I did know that and I forgot it. I learned about it at some point <laughs> and it went out. It went out the door of my brain. This was Carla's response when we finally then heard Zelig uh, as Woody Allen. You said, this is good until they use his voice and then you're like, oh, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> they could have dubbed somebody else's voice into it. Because <laughs> he sounds so modern. Like he doesn't. Sure. It's fine. I don't want to be nitpicky about this because it's whatever. But Well, if there's two things that maybe take you out of it, it's like Woody Allen being cl- so clearly Woody Allen. Right. And then they also have what is ostensibly a movie from the time uh, about Zelig. And it doesn't really look like a movie from right. the 30s, right. but it's kind of funny uh, as a parody uh, of those movies. Oh, yeah. I thought It's that called too. The Changing Man. Yeah. I thought yeah. this woman who's in this looks like she's from the 80s. Oh, yeah. She's got like feathered hair. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is not like a Joan Crawford whatever. Yes. I guess that would have been even earlier, right? Yeah. That could, that could have been better handled. Um. You said, I wish we could wear hats and coats and dress like that now. I do. I love the hats from the twenties. They're like the, they almost look like, um, swim caps, <laughs> but they sometimes, well, swim like, caps are definitely big at the time. But they de- Everyone was wearing swim caps. Let me finish my thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they have like flowers on them. That's all. Sure. <laughs> You like flowery hats. You have a, a hat or I two do. with a flower on I it. I actually have a hat that I bought like 15 years ago because it looks like a hat from the 20s. I'm going to post a picture of it on Twitter. Okay. Because you want to be a flapper. I'll wear it today. <laughs> yeah. See when if it's you, 85 degrees outside. See if outside. you can pull it off in uh, 85 degree LA weather. 
Uh, you said, I think I could live in that time period, except I'd probably get sick and die. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, don't, uh, don't time travel. <laughs> don't underrate immunity, guys. Yes. Like that, that's a big thing about it. They uh, all kind of look a little ill. <laughs> You're like, oh, go to the doctor, you guys. <laughs> Take some vitamins. On that line where the journalist says, you told the truth and it sold papers, Carla said, that's some real social commentary there. <laughs> In this era of fake news. Fake news. Then you said, look at how skinny all the girls are. Is this before processed foods? <laughs> <laughs> they uh, might have just been unhealthy. But though I think you were actually looking at 1983 footage that they were passing off as the 20s. But they got a lot of skinny girls for 1983. I get- uh <laughs> I so I get 83s before processed foods too. No. Uh, I have to say this is where that thought came from because in my early 20s, I did go through a little bit of a flapper phase and I would go to vintage stores and try to find like old flapper dresses um, or any dresses, I guess, from like the 30s or 20s, whatever. And I could never fit into any of them. And I'm not that heavy. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, oh, this is taking forever. Uh, people were smaller. Yeah. <laughs> there was no Rubenesque figures no. back then. Or at least yeah. they weren't out uh, dancing in dresses if there were. <laughs> I think there was uh, there was like more malnourishment in general, but I think it was also like the style to be real thin, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm a size six or a size eight, and I can't fit in any of those things hmm. the real vintage dresses oh yeah and then when you go to a museum or when you there's like a costume exhibition uh and you see uh the or, or when you see like the first ladies dresses or yeah. stuff like that of like people were just tinier yeah back then okay that was just some information for everyone <laughs> on my personal tastes <laughs> when they did have the footage of fanny bryce you said barbara <laughs> Barbara. Because Barbara Streisand played Fanny Bryce. Get it? Yep. Is what that's what you said. That's a direct that. quote. Uh and I got it. And I'm when, the greatest star. <laughs> I am by far. But no one knows it. That's from Funny Girl. You know who's a funny girl and a funny lady? Who? Carla Kikowski. Oh barf. <laughs> I just barfed everywhere. Then barf, you, vomit. Fart poop. <laughs> <laughs> Real mature, Carla. <laughs> then you said, I want to figure out how to do my hair like that. And I think you're referring to Mia Farrow's like braids. Yeah. Maybe. I yeah. can't do that. I can't do braids in my hair. I look like a child. <laughs> I look like a woman child. I look like I should have uh, a husband and three sister wives uh-huh. when I do it. <laughs> Do you want to go that route? Do you want to no. start? Okay. Because <laughs> I'm totally up for it Gross. if you want to. Uh, barf, fart. On that I teach advanced masturbation line, you said he had to get masturbation in there somewhere. Yep. <laughs> uh, when she puts him in a trance, uh, she hypnotizes Zelig uh, to talk to his inner self. And you said, that's some get out shit. <laughs> 
guys, if you haven't seen Get Out, go see Get Out. Get out of your house oh. and go to the theater. It's probably not too much longer in the theaters. You know, it's probably, I don't know. It's doing so well. It is doing really well. That I'm so happy. Terrific movie. So good, you guys. Go see it. Very happy for Jordan Peele, former student of mine. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I had Jordan as a student when he was 19 or 20. He's so great. Maybe. Yeah. He was in a group with uh, Becky Drysdale called Two White Guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a woman and a black guy. Um, you know, no matter even the shortest movie on Craigslist. Yeah. 79 minutes. Carla still managed to get a how much longer is this in there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've seen this one. Yeah, it happened at about the 30-minute mark, but still, uh, how much longer is this? Because <laughs> I knew I was falling asleep. Yeah, it's a, it's her catchphrase. Um, this, oh, I think I have some quotes from you half asleep. Oh, then. no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't embarrass me too much. Lampshades can be so ugly. I said that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what well there was a lampshade on screen and you said lampshades can be so ugly oh boy <laughs> which is odd because they're designed to hide the light bulb right yeah what are they for well i guess they're for two things <laughs> to hide the mechanics of the lamp but then also to mute the light in some way you know so right. it's not as bright uh, but you're right. You know, the, the, Oh, I know what it was. It was one of those old, uh, like seventies, eighties ones that just look like plastic. Oh, so it was in the modern day scene. Yeah. In the it was in the interviews. <laughs> okay. I remember. And it was in the background and I was like, they could have, the prop person could have done a better job with this lampshade. Yeah. That's all. Uh, I think you were asleep for what is maybe the funniest scene in the movie. Which is, uh, they talk to Eudora Fletcher's mother. Uh huh. Do you remember this at all? No. And it's, uh, it's again, it's actors, it's, but it looks, you know, like an old timey interview and it's an old woman who's supposed to be Mia Farrow's mother. Uh huh. Uh, not Mia Farrow's real mother, right. <laughs> Margaret O'Sullivan, but it, Eudora Fletcher's mother. Uh, and, uh, and so it's kind of like the narrative of like how Eudora Fletcher has really succeeded. Uh, and overcome adversity in her life. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the interviewer is, <laughs> is like, uh, so, you know, uh, how did she, uh, how did she overcome all these hardships? And the mother's like, well, you know, we, we grew up very rich. You know, she was very well off. She had everything that she, uh, ever needed. <laughs> and, uh, the, did you want her to be a doctor? No, I never did. I wanted her to be a, an aviator like her sister. <laughs> you know, tell me about her husband. Well, there were problems. He drank. <laughs> So it's just like the radio interview gone wrong. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, then Carla woke up about two thirds of the way in. Uh, and I, well, I asked her if I wanted to wake her up. Uh, and you said, no, I've already seen it though. He dies, right? <laughs> and he does. Well, in the sense that when the, when the documentary is done, Zelig is dead. <laughs> But you don't see his death on screen and the movie doesn't end with him dying. It just ends with a footnote that says, uh, on his deathbed, uh, Zelig had just started reading Moby Dick and wanted to see how it turned out. So then I wasn't wrong. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He dies. I, 
he dies. And you just said the very last scene. <laughs> you make it sound like is you... him uh, them saying on his deathbed. So obviously something about that stuck with me. Okay. And he dies <laughs> at the end. I think that I am a hundred percent right. And yeah. you can just acknowledge that. And then there is. Carla, I acknowledge that you are technically right. Thank you. <laughs> that Leonard Zelig dies in the movie Zelig. Jackaroozy. There is a reference to Zelig <laughs> dying. Uh, at some point, there's a reference to a fur trader. Okay. Do you remember this? Nope. <laughs> and, uh, you, <laughs> you woke up and said, uh oh, fur trader, get it? <laughs> And I think you were trying to say that was a reference to pubic hair. Oh. <laughs> when it clearly, clearly was not. <laughs> you you thought that it was some sort of implied dirty joke and that you were all over it, but <laughs> it was not. I uh, <sighs> You also missed uh the him being inserted into Hitler footage, which is like the idea of like Hitler giving a, uh, anti-Semitic speech and Woody Allen in the background <laughs> as Zelig. Uh, and then, uh, Dr. Fletcher kind of notices him and he kind of waves <laughs> to yeah. her. Like you can't get better than that. Uh, for the technology of 1983, it's really well done. And I would say, that, you know, they kind of picked up on the same conceit with Forrest Gump 11 years later. Yeah. And that's kind of the beginning of digital technology. And it's much better done in this than it is in Forrest Gump. Yeah. it's It looks real in this one. Uh, Carly, you want to give this a letter grade? B plus. B plus. Yeah. Oh. I like this movie just because I fell asleep the third time <laughs> I've seen it in my entire life. I've already given, uh you know, three hours to this film in my life. <laughs> yeah. What's another hour 19? Exactly. Uh, what does the B plus stand for? Oh, um, boy, Woody Allen's got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> plus. plus. Plus, we, uh, have not confirmed any opinions on it. <laughs> Great. Well, that's one Woody down, six more to go. Uh. <laughs> I think we'll bring in guests for some of the other Woody Allen movies. So you we know have. a lot of people who are huge Woody Allen fans. Yes, we do. So we'll <laughs> we're make not going to say who they are just we'll in case they can't do the podcast. <laughs> in case they don't want to go on record yeah. uh, as being that. Well, we'll make them defend him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what we should do. Make our guests uh, shoulder it. So, Carly, you ready to do a little khaki theater? Yeah. Okay. Uh so, I mean, there's footage of all these things of Zelig with famous people, but we don't really get to hear from them. So it might be fun to do like a big, like Roaring Twenties flapper party with Zelig just interacting with a bunch of people, maybe. Can it, do they have to be famous or can I just make them up? Oh, you can make them up then. Okay. Great. Okay, great. We now take it to a 1920s uh, flapper party. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I don't have the password. Uh, is it okay if I come in to this uh, speakeasy? Well, first of all, how much do you weigh? Well, I weigh uh, 120 pounds. You're in. Hey, thanks, sister. Follow me this way. Oh, sure thing. 
let's get some uh, whiskey and uh, smoke some cigarettes. Oh, I love smoking a hand-rolled cigarette. Wait a second. You're acting just like me now. What, what, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to fit in. I'm just uh, uncomfortable in this uh, situation. Oh, is it? Is that Zelig? Boop, boop, be doo boop. <laughs> Yeah, I sure am, Zelig. Boop, boop, doo Man, this is a good party, don't you think? I'm having so much fun drinking this bathtub gin, boop, boop, doo Wow, your, uh, decolletage is impressive. Oh, <laughs> that, uh, you can see a bit of my breasts, right? Boop, boop, doo oh, I can't keep up this accent anymore. It's so difficult. <laughs> it's so high-pitched and straining. Oh, Zelig, I have heard so much about you from my dearest Fitzgerald. <laughs> well, bless my heart if it isn't Zelda Fitzgerald. What is going on with you, my dear? Oh, my brain is just all such a mess. I'm just all over the place. I keep running my head into a wall. I'm so sad. You are clearly mentally ill, my dear. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, you sound just like me, just like where I'm from. Well, of course, I'm from the deep south of Alabama, darling. <laughs> well, it was good to see you. Well, it was good to see you. Kiss, kiss. Kiss, kiss. Hit, hit. <laughs> hit me. Hit me. Oh, God, she's in trouble, that one. <laughs> it's so terrible. I feel awful for her. Uh, hello there. <laughs> Uh, how you doing? Uh, who are you? <laughs> what do you mean, who am I? Who do you think I am? Well, I can clearly see what you look like, but I don't know that we've met before. I'm Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. His distinctive low voice that he was too embarrassed to use on screen. Well, if you're going to make fun of me, I'll just leave. No, don't leave, Chaplin. <laughs> Here's a flower out of my pants. <laughs> Oh, that, that couldn't have been more Chaplin-esque. Scene. Scene. I did so many characters. So many characters. You really got to show your full range there. I thought you were going for kind of a Louis Armstrong I wasn't thing. sure what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea. There's definitely things in the movie where uh, Zelig becomes black and Indian. And it's very questionable. <laughs> yeah. Or does it make a great statement about identity? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys, for tuning in uh, for our Zelig podcast. You know, we're we're just trying to fit in, yeah. among all the other podcasts out there. And you know, March is Tripod Month, Carla. Oh yeah. So, uh, it what that is is podcasts just plugging other podcasts and talking about things that we like to listen to. Is there anything you want to get out there uh, for like, Tripod Month? Yeah, I think you guys should check out Felice Navipod. Right. <laughs> yeah, our friend Todd Cooper. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony. And Tony Thaxton. Yep. Uh, and you're coming up on an upcoming episode, I'm right? I'm going to be on their podcast this week. So you can check out iTunes to hear me tell a story about farting, <laughs> amongst other things. Oh, I can't wait because I don't know this story. <laughs> and I sing, which is the worst. Okay. Uh, there's also something you're listening to that's a couple years old, but you really got, oh my got gosh. deep into. Limetown. Limetown. I'm sure everybody knows about Limetown, but I, I wasn't know. familiar with it. Tell me a little bit about it. Um, it's about, it's a fictional podcast, uh, about a woman, an investigative reporter who is investigating a town that had 320 residents or something that went missing. 
they just disappeared overnight. And it's really great. It's about two years old, I think. Yeah. Or a year and a half. And uh, it ends on a cliffhanger. And they have not released season two yet. So now I have to wait. <laughs> Damn it. What about you? What do you want to plug for tripod month? Well, I want to reiterate that plug for Don't Get Me Started, Will Hines and uh, Anthony King's mm-hmm. uh, podcast. It, uh, the Woody Allen one is uh, particularly good, but then I'm also listening to – they actually break their rule for two of them uh, because they're, they're not supposed to talk about uh, show business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two people wanted to talk about improv so much that they made improv the nerdy obsession, and that's Jason Mantzoukas and Paul Shear. Okay. And I'm listening to Jason's now, and it's just great because he's just one of the great podcast guests, yeah. uh, period. Uh, we always listen every week to Slate Culture Gab Fest. We do, yeah. Uh, and it's just such a good podcast uh, with a wide range of stuff going on in pop culture. They usually will cover a movie, a TV show, a book, an mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. Uh, and the hosts an are just article. so charming and way more articulate than we are. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to plug uh, Song Exploder, yeah. uh, which is uh, Rishikesh uh Hereway. I think I'm saying your name right, Rishi. <laughs> uh, but uh, he was kind enough to plug uh, our podcast. And he does two, uh, possibly more podcasts, but West Wing Weekly yeah. with Josh Molina, which covers uh, every episode of totally. West Wing in depth. But I listened to a whole bunch of Song Exploder. The Solange one. Yeah. yeah. Did you listen to it? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. real good, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, – Really interesting. Uh, it's a great song to mm-hmm. Cranes in the Sky, mm-hmm. uh, and to hear her break it down and the amount of thought and work. And we're that looking at her face. That. Right we're looking here at Solange's on my bus face cover on the uh, on cover of Bus Magazine. But I also enjoyed the one uh, with the composer from La La Land, where oh, he yeah. talks about the song Audition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that Emma Stone sings into it. So for movie fans, uh, I thought that was some interesting insight into the the role of the. Uh, uh, music mm-hmm. and songs in uh, in that movie in particular. And you know what podcast I listen to every week? WTF. I know everybody listens to it. Sure. But let's just Marin say. Marin doesn't need our support. I know. But, but I just have to feel like I have to say it because I just love Mark Marin. That's all. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then, so we did tripod stuff, right? That's tripod. And... Uh, oh, also, we got this with Hal and Mark. Of course. Of course. Those are our, our good, Our good friends. We promoted that before, but yeah, we're doing we've it had Hal on. We hope to have Gagliardi on it at one point. But yeah. yeah. That's always so entertaining. And they, uh, they just solve great pop culture debates. Like they just had one with uh, Weird Al Yankovic where they decide what the best Monty Python song is. So good. Is. <laughs> and yeah. they really get in depth into their subjects. Yeah, it's great. Um, okay. So we also have some improv friends, uh, in Portland, uh, at the Stumptown Improv Festival. And we, uh, Orange Tuxedo, which is Craig, uh, which is our <laughs> two person improv group. Um, where you can hear more scenes like that flapper scene. Yes. Uh, we tour <laughs> and do improv all over the country. Last year we did several stops. Um, one of our favorites was Portland, um, for the Stumptown Improv Festival. And they are currently, cause we know there's a lot of improvisers who listen to this show. Uh, they are currently accepting applications for their festival this August and applications are due. Uh, I believe it's April 16th. You can go to stumptownimprov.com and, uh, you should definitely, if you are an improviser on an improv team why not submit to that festival portland is the most fun we stayed in the tiny house hotel (laughs) we love portland to death and it's a great festival 
and uh, so many nice people there. And if you want to yeah. just like eat like a bandit, like Portland is the best food in America. Yeah. <laughs> and best beer. So. so why not take a weekend, go do an improv festival, get some good food, drink some good beers, say hi to us. I think we'll be there. We're hoping to do it again this year. Yeah. We, we have not closed the deal, but we're waiting. But we're hoping. Or maybe they're waiting for us. I don't know. Something's <laughs> happening though. Hoping to be back. We're in discussions. Uh, okay. Stumptown Improv dot com is what you're looking at get there on that site and you know what even if you can't make it why not still go to the site or follow them on twitter and support some improv why not awesome thanks carla yep uh as always uh leave us a review on itunes uh that always helps to uh improve our standing and self-worth in the improv community i also just applied to put us on stitcher so hopefully within the next couple of days uh you can also for the one guy who's always writing in why aren't you on stitcher i think we will be on stitcher (laughs) soon uh so hopefully that uh that makes some people's lives easier uh, thanks so much for tuning in, Craig's listeners. And uh, Carla, next week, we're going to cover movie number 73. And it's time to get into the work of the greatest director of all time. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> or at least the most famous director of all time. This movie came out in 1960, and it stars Janet Lee <laughs> and Anthony Perkins. <laughs> And it's called, oh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correct, Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> There's a P that up top that I'm not sure how. I've never actually said it out loud. Oh, uh, Psycho. <laughs> the movie's called Psycho. Yeah, and we have a guest. I think we do. We haven't confirmed that yet, but oh, I ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully we will. But uh, and I think we also might be seeing this on a bigger screen than usual rather than watching us at home. So oh, what a tease you are. Oh, I'm such a tease. And I hope all of those things come true. But uh, tune in next week and uh, we will cover Psycho. Psycho. <laughs> the list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>